I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken. afterwards by Timmy McCarthy and then the celebration by Ken that's iconic now Brian there's no doubt about that oh, unbelievable that's exactly the word iconic um, just vintage Ken McGrath you know he was an unbelievable horror but what a big moment in, in arguably the greatest most final of all time and the celebration is just class then as well just to top it all off it's love set- that yeah, the celebration. But like, I mean, what's kind of forgotten about this is only it was like a game of tennis. He had just cleared it down, and then the cleared he he cleared it down to a Cork defender who hit it back up to him, and then he caught it again. So he's only he was only kind of correcting his own clearance to nobody. <laughs> Asher hurled it down the field. That was, I suppose that was the way Waterford just played, kind of a thing. Like you know, yeah. hurled off the cuff and just the won a couple of big moments for Tony Brown was after catching a massive ball a couple of minutes previous as right. well. And, it just, you know, they stood up when needed. The amazing thing about the celebration is, is that, you know, Ken McGrath swings the hurl like that. But John Malam was after doing it in the first half, but that was our pure frustration. He was going to kill the referee. So it's gas too. He absolutely did. There was some great characters on, on that team. There's no doubt about it. It was actually The Rock that contested the catch 
um, with Ken. He'd moved up the field, obviously, in, in desperation at that stage because he was the extra man. And he tried to whip it. He tried to add on to it, whereas Ken kept his eye on it. Yeah, and caught it. But there's a great story about that afterwards where where Dermot O'Sullivan said something to Ken. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of afterwards. And, you know, Ken's kind of, he's after giving me a bit of lip here. But Sully was after actually saying great catch to him. So, um, you know, in fairness to him, he recognised how big a moment it was. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a great part of it, the, the, the kind of sportsmanship from The Rock. Ollie Moran was tweeting yesterday, because this was on television, he was saying that it was the arguably the greatest ever Munster final, an absolute belter from start to finish. It's very hard to, nobody's going to win an argument on this, you know, what was the greatest ever Munster final. But I'd say if there was a poll, I would say you would you you could have a majority um, going for this. This was just breathless. And the, the, the great thing about it was, it was brilliant in two halves for different reasons. One was an unbelievable, first half was unbelievable quality. Second half was just pure tension and defending and, you know, nerves and all those things. And then you had the moments of brilliance towards the end. Yeah, like the only thing I think in, in modern times that I can think of is maybe Tipping Cork in 1990 or even in 91, you know, there were classics as well. Like, so that's something that springs to my mind that could even come close to this. And as you said, it's a, it's a tale of two halves, like Cork leading by three points after playing into the wind, you know, 114, a savage score racked up. And to think that they were held to only seven points in that second half, and albeit nearly 30 minutes with um, Watford with only 14 players on the field. So an unbelievable like like performance in that second half and like so many talking points. Um so you can see why people rank it right up there. Yeah. I was actually lucky enough to be at it. Um you know, I was in the terrace in the first half with a good friend of mine, Sad Daly, well known the GA circles there. We got tickets to the to the Waterford End Terrace and at half time we actually blagged our way into the main stand and we got up underneath the where the press box is, you know, the, the kind of gangway. Yeah. We sat right in the middle of the stand for the whole second half, so we had full view of the whole place. But it was a real special day, and you often hear the players talk about, you know, Walford and Cork, how there was just something magical about that day, even early on the day down in the square in Turles, and it just seemed to be, just, as I said, something special about it, and the, all the crowd was there, and it was a real great build-up, and the weather obviously, um, you know, helped the, the matter where people were in great spirits, and, you know, the game lived up to be an absolute classic. So just that uh, you can see why people have it, have it right up there. Ah, uh, you would, yeah. The big talking point, the biggest, there's loads of talking points. The biggest talking point was John Milan sending off in the 38th minute. Um, obviously, he did that kind of famous uh, interview after the game then that we have in, the, in our opening sting about loving his county um, and stuff like that. But, like, I mean, he was getting frustrated. He Like, what did you make? Well, let's kind of build this up because... At the start of the match, he tried to rise a ball on the end line and it went over the end line and the crowd jeered him and John was laughing and it was always in good, all in good spirits because he had given the, the, the Cork fans the fingers the year before. Then he started getting tick because he put his hand up to catch a ball and Brian Murphy pulled across, across him. But then he, you mentioned it there already, he started going mad at the referee. Now... Is Brian Murphy not entitled to pull on that? Is to pull on that though? Ball if the ball was in the air. Like I mean, was he getting uh, kicked for? Nothing? Yeah. Then the no, referee, I, I, the referee I, I, got his yeah. own back on him then because he pulled him up for over carrying, and it wasn't over carrying really at all. It was a very harsh call. Yeah, I think it was a free for John Milan in that situation. You know, Murphy pulled hard there, and but it's not fair game if the ball's up there. Is that not what you've yeah, been telling he, me before? It's, it's on, yeah, it's only fair game if you if you catch the ball in that situation. You know, like it was to me that was a free. 
Right. Now maybe that's the, the corner forward bias coming out of me because um, I've been on the receiving end of that loads of times. Um, so so I thought that was that was a free. So I can see why John got frustrated, but he, it shows how frustrated he was. And you're right. Like he got done for over carrying and got turned upside down between Jerry O'Connor and then Tom Kenny came in to make sure yeah. he got he, he got turned over and straight up the field and Ben O'Connor gets a soft free, you know, a little small tug. Um, you know, arguably Lettered Lord was a free, but it just showed a real stark in contrast um in, in terms of the way it was being refereed. So Waterford were probably feeling a little bit aggrieved at that time. But I found looking back at it now, Milan the way it was being treated it was nearly like a soccer game. Do you know where you hear the fans booing or, you know, kind of catcalling at a player every time he went near it? And I felt that's the way I look back at that first half. That's what was happening in Milan. Every time he went to that ball, all the car crowd were getting on his case. And and the the cork backs were hell-bent on trying to trying to rile him up. You know, the very yeah, first ball he got, Jim Sullivan went like to meet him with a big shoulder. And Milan just, just you know, kind of rode the tackle and, and hand-passed it back across. But they were they were definitely doubling up, tripling up every single opportunity to get. Now, obviously, that comes from the fact that he'd run such a muck in the previous Munster final. Well, that was it, yeah. And then, of course, he famously accepted his punishment instead of trying to get off um, through the courts. You know, so he showed a, a lot of honour. I think he was more embarrassed about what he had done uh, because it was a bad, a bad enough kind of blow. And to make it even stranger, he was just after getting a lovely point for the second half. Whenever he'd go in at halftime, he'd cool, you'd imagine he'd cool down, came out then, got a lovely point from play. You'd imagine in his head, he's like, geez, that's grand. You know, like Murphy obviously would be tormenting him and like any good cornerback would be doing. But it was a very unusual time of the game for him to have done it. Yeah, well, look, look, I spoke with him lately, obviously, and he said that, uh, you know, that he was raging at halftime with what was after going on in the first half and the selectors were trying to calm him down and, um, you know, he, he, he kind of said to himself, look, I, I'll get an opportunity and, and I'll get my retribution in. But uh, <laughs> as he said himself, he, he did it at the wrong time and he probably did it with too much force, you know. So, look, I suppose I've been there as well. I've been, I, I've been caught for something similar myself twice down through my career and it's very, very hard to take though when someone's, you know, constantly dogging you and maybe get getting to hurl on the edge um, and a little bit past it at times and, and seems to be getting away with it. But you're right, he seemed to get that that point at the start of the second half. You would have had right, I still have two points off him. You know what I mean? I'm still yeah. arguably getting the better of him. But I suppose it comes to the pressure he probably was putting on himself. You know, after getting 3-1 the previous year, he, he wanted to be running the muck and it can be hard to kind of accept that that it's not going to happen. So, you know, he lashed out. But, you know, I think you're right. It, it's a measure of the man that he took his punishment. You know, he didn't go down the courts route because, you know, there was money put up to try and go down that whole legal route and to try and get him off on a technicality. But, uh, you know, he wouldn't allow it. And, you know, famously then, Watford didn't didn't take Kenny in the All-Ireland semi-final and probably this was their one real chance to try and win All-Ireland. Yeah. Dan, there was a comical moment in the first half where Dan Shanahan caught Gardner, with a, which could only be described as a jab that wouldn't even knock me and Gardner got it and uh, he had to think about it and then he fell down onto the ground and then as they're running back out, they're kind of laughing with each other, with each other about yeah. it. Yeah, like Gardner had him grabbed by the jersey and went to, yeah, went, it, went it, to it, do it, it first. Went to do it first and missed him. So Dan said, hey, hold on a second now, you're <laughs> getting one back for yourself. And Michael Dignan says, like, great refereeing. And do you know what? Like, I agree with him. You knew I'm going to re- agree with him anyway. Like, you know, the two of them just kind of sized each other up for a minute. There was nothing major. No. I think today's game, anything's possible. You know, probably, 
uh, you might get away with a yellow maybe then, but like it would be possible to get sent off in today's game. That's that's probably you know the disappointing thing about it nowadays. You know. Yeah, Owen Owen Kelly, who was a total hothead, he came down anyways. He wanted it. He thought there was more in it than there was. He was going to play <laughs> all around him. So I think someone had to pull him out of the out of the. Firing yeah, and, and what I love it. Look, Ronan Curran was brilliant, and like he was, he was always mad for action too. Like anytime, like we were analysing the Cork Kenny games too. Anytime you needed him to step up and and a bit of physicality, he was mad for it as well. So he wasn't letting Kelly away with it when he came down the field, um, you know. But look, it was only it was only kind of mountain and handbags at that stage because the. Uh, there wasn't much in it. There was no one really up for a fight either. So uh, I think yeah. I think the referee handled it well, though. Yeah, they, these games were always played in good spirits, from my memory. Like I mean, there seemed to be a, a bit of friendly trash talking without any kind of real any dirt in it. Obviously, Milan's one was very dirty, but um, you know that was probably out of. I haven't seen him doing anything like that, um, you know, before or after that. Ironically, Brian, which is an incredible thing, Waterford win that. A lot of people think it's the greatest Munster final of all time, and they would have been better off losing it. In the bigger scheme of things, they had mon- they had one Munster already. They uh, their prize for winning that was to play Kilkenny. Cork's prize for losing that was to get Antrim in a quarter final, and said Wexford in a semi final. Yeah, it's amazing how it worked out, wasn't oh, it? Like? What luck is that? Yeah, <laughs> it just shows that poor old Watford. You know, they, obviously, they're they're definitely the 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 team that. You know, everyone kind of supported. It was their second team, and always hoped that they'd win All Ireland if their own team couldn't win it. And it just, it just sums up probably their their career. The fact that they they were maligned and to never actually win the All Ireland. And Kilkenny weren't even at the peak of their power, but they just were able to win those semi-finals against you know against Waterford. They just and obviously missing Milan and JJ wrapped um, Dan Shannon up in his pocket that day as well. He held them scores if, if my memory. Um, serves me correct so like you know that, that Kilkenny outfit we're, we're still a serious team but you know Cork obviously we're, we're starting to get into a groove and, and, and bring it to a new level altogether and you know we'll, we analyse that 2004 All-Ireland where Cork fully deserved that yeah um, yeah. Do you know they were they were awesome for a finish that year so the Paul Flynn goal right so this was this was badly badly needed by Waterford at the time because Milan had gone off and I saw you having a bit of a debate on Twitter about this yesterday, about whether he meant it or not. Dignan said in the commentary whether Paul Flynn meant that or not, we don't know. Conal Keeney was adamant that he didn't mean it. He said if he didn't mishit a few frees before that, I would agree. No way he had the confidence to try it at that time. Um, you're on, the, on the, the side of that he meant it. Yeah, well, look, I heard against Flynn for a few years and... I just think he was just supremely confident. You know, he just had this inner confidence that was almost unshakable. And he missed he missed the routine enough free. Then straight after he got a point from play from about fifty meters, a good score. And then he, you know, he tapped over another free. So I think I think he like, did he mean to put it exactly where he put it? I don't think so. But did he mean to put a bit of top spin on it and aim it, aim it in a dangerous ball and you never know what could happen? Definitely, you know, like he went for a, a a goal in the first half as well from a free. Yeah, where he rushed it. Now it went he high. Hit the post, didn't it? Yeah. See, he went for topspin and that, and didn't catch topspin at all. And it just the trajectory went high, and it hit the post high up, and came out. And Dan Shannon got a great score actually um, over his shoulder um, to make sure that, you know they got away with it almost. So like Flynn was definitely capable. He he'd done it loads of times before in games. I've seen him in practice games in particular. So he, I think he had the inner confidence to do it. 
Right. Okay. Well, there's only one man that can answer the question um, properly, Brian, and he joins us on the line now. Did you mean it, Paul? I'd have to go along with the public perception of that I did, Colin, because I suppose at this stage, I still get the free odd point over. So if I if I actually contradicted <laughs> myself, that would uh, that would stop. So ah, look, it was it was it, you know I have to admit. I have seen it on Twitter and all the rest of it over the years. Yesterday was the first time I actually watched the match in full. Um, because, I suppose, because of the circumstances, everything that day, um, that goal kind of kept us in it. Um, like, it, to not sound um, kind of cock a hoop about it, it, it was something that myself and Dan had. We did have we did have a little thing in place that if Dan stood in front of the goalie, that the odd day we might try something. And we tried it once or twice before and... I think two of them hit the crossbar, and uh, but never, never one went in. And of course, uh, when it does, when it does go in, then there's a mistake. But uh, yeah, so look, it was it was a shot to nothing. Um, if it hit the crossbar, they'd be saying, "Geez, he was unlucky." But the fact that it went under, it was a fluke. So look, that's the way it is. It's grand. But the thing about it is, though, Paul, there were so many players between you and the goals that, like, the Rock and Don Logue didn't see it at all, really. There was Ronan Curran, there was Sean Ogah, Sean Ogah was marking Dan, there was Ronan Curran, and I'm pretty yeah. sure Brian Murphy was in front of it as well. Yeah, but I, I've, look, it's, 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 I suppose the last line of defence, if you have, Dearman was on the goal line, I suppose, and he was probably thinking, oh, look, if it, if, if it goes low, someone's going to stop it. Uh, he probably won't go low. Um, there's five or six lads in front of me. Asher, look, and, and he probably switched off and probably didn't see it. In fairness, probably didn't see it till, till, till it was right in front of him. Um, it could have. I was only looking at it yesterday. It could have. Dan, Dan and Sean Oak were probably the closest to, or probably the closest to it. Where they one of those hurlies could have could have blocked it. Yeah. Um, but once it went once it, once it went when it once it passed the two of them, I think in fairness to Dermot on the goal, it was was past him before he knew it. So. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, Ronan Curran was just like a statue. He just watched it fly over his head. I'd say he thought it was going to be tapped over the bar. Yeah, well, I said, well, look, that's... And, and the year before, the year before, they all walked back onto the goal line and John Milan was standing there on his own on the 13-metre line and I tipped it to him and Milan, right. Milan hung it, you know? And yeah. I do remember the... <laughs> Don O'Grady came out like the, the Clark won that match obviously but I, do, I met Don O'Grady in the, in the stand afterwards underneath Turles and he said we'll never switch off for a Cork free or for a wall for free again you've taught us a good lesson today and I said alright nice. fair enough and then 12, 12 <laughs> months later I was able to say I was able to say to him well look you switched off again today Donald and he had a Jeez, giggle at it you know so it was yeah yeah, that was a good because it was funny. You got a free in a similar position not long afterwards, and they had four on the line for that one. So you just drove that over the bar. Yeah, funny enough, actually that that free I saw it yesterday. That free, um, we used to have a good bit of banter in fairness, and Dermot O'Sullivan started pointing to the bottom corner. You know, when I was standing over it, he was the camera was can't he can't be seen, and he was pointing to the bottom corner. So I kind of gave him a look to the bottom corner and, get, and shook the head and said no. You know, and he was laughing. It was quite funny, you know, in fairness. Even even amidst, in the middle of a Munster hurling final, there was still a bit of crack going on. So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was good. To, yeah, we enjoyed ourselves. I suppose. That's, that was it. And, you know, fellas played played hard and, 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 and stuff. But it was, um, it was a bit of crack at the same time. There did, there did seem to be that kind of bit of banter between it, like Dan and The Rock. And then Dan gave Gardner a bit of a jab. And it didn't seem like there was going to be a big pile in. Well, 
um, um, old Kelly went a bit mad, but there was more kind of laughing at the good of it kind of thing, I, I, I kind of thought. Yeah, well, in fairness, you could only laugh at Gardner falling with the little jab, <laughs> uh, Dan, Dan Gavin. Like, I mean, to hit the deck over that um, wouldn't have been one of John's finest moments, I'd say, but... Um, like I mean, Dan. It was funny after we used to be slagging Dan, like be, be careful he'll hit you. But yeah, I've never seen Dan give a jab to anybody. But um, yeah, things like that. You know, it was taken in good spirits. And you can see the two boys when they're running back out to position, they're laughing at each other and joking. And and even I know it was more serious when when John Milan when Milan got sent off when he struck Brian Murphy. Like there was no danger of a a Mead uh, Mayo thing, you know. So right. Um, but um. Yeah, no, it was it was competitive, obviously very competitive and uh, hard. Nobody asked for a quarter or gave a quarter, but there was probably a good mutual respect there that there wasn't going to be a real filthy blow dealt either, you know. Yeah, the Milan, well, the Milan one was a fairly filthy blow and he, know, he knew that himself. Um, like, it was a strange one with Milan because he put his hand up for a ball in the first half and Brian Murphy gave it a good whack. And then he got caught for over. He gave the referee grief over the, over not getting a free there. And then the referee blew him up yeah. harshly, harshly for over carrying. But then he started the second half with a lovely point. So you would have thought, you know, in his own head, yeah. he'd be like, right, I'm back in the mix here. Yeah, and he has said it over the years that he was, you know, he was on fire. Like he was, he was, he was feeling good. And um, you know, the amount of texts actually came in yesterday about like you don't see this when you're playing, or maybe you do if it's really obvious, but. Some of, some of the frees that were given to Cork uh, in 04 were of the soft side and the, and the, the Milan was definitely fouled I counted maybe four in the first half that weren't given and even and even technical fouls where Cork were playing the Hurleys they were all kind of let go and you could see James Murray at one stage who was a very quiet chap losing the rag with the referee and you know I, I didn't realise that but watching it yesterday it was, it was a good hour before we got any good out of him but the sending off with John I heard the crack. I didn't see it. Um, Dignan said he saw it straight away. There was no fear of Dignan uh, sitting on the fence for that one. Uh, <laughs> handed the hurl into the <laughs> And I text Dignan last night, actually. But, uh, handed the hurl straight into the face. Uh, has to go. So, like, I mean, even if he wasn't gone, the GA were going to go back and get him anyway. Because I get if he, had, Yeah, if he had snuck away with the yellow card, which obviously he, did, he deserved the red because the umpire obviously saw it. Like there was no, there was no way he was getting away with it because Dignan had nailed him to the mass. But uh, yeah, John, John got a great score. Ken put a ball right in front of him, and it was set up for him in the second half, playing into the breeze. The ball was going to, the ball was going to stay short, um, and the speed he had, and like I mean, Brian Murphy was fast in fairness and very sticky, but you know, a, a top form John Milan was nearly unmarkable, and um, you know he started the second half. Pretty, pretty well. But I'd say he was frustrated enough, all right, that the, the, he got on the ball a good few times in the first half, got a great score off his right, but the space wasn't there in the first half playing with the breeze. And anytime he, anytime he took off with the ball, he was kind of running into a cork, an extra cork defender, and he wasn't getting any joy off the referee. So I'd say he was, he was close to boiling point. And he, look, he obviously must have got a, some kind of a niggle in the back or, or a bang off Brian Murphy first. Like, I mean, there's no way yeah. he just... For no reason, yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, no, that that had to, that did happen, but obviously it was nicely done and not as blatant as the the retaliation. So, um, and that happens too. So, I suppose he was caught. You'd have to put it down as caught, and um, you know, unfortunately for for John. But I suppose the interview afterwards made up 
<laughs> yeah, that was one. That's an iconic, iconic moment in the GA. Really, the way the way that was. I heard you and him were down at a soccer match, Waterford United and Cork City in the League of Ireland clash, and the fans started singing to John, "Sully's going to get you. Sully's going to get you." Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent true. We were obviously bored off our heads before some. I think it was a league. We weren't even playing Cork. Just, it was kind of like late April, the end of the League of Ireland season. I don't know if it was a cup semi-final maybe or something. And it was in the RSC and we were just walking along and they, they had the Cork City fans in the some kind of section of the North Stand. And uh, yeah, we were walking along and all, one of them spotted them anyway. And uh, what, yeah, it started, Sully's going to get you, Sully's going to get you. <laughs> typical, John, typical John fashion, like the celebration he gave an oath. Three, I think, two fingers went straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, did you not? Did you not advise him not to take the punishment? Like, I mean, I, it's a very honourable thing that he did because he was wrong. But Jesus, like, sure, as a teammate, would you have been saying to him, Jesus, you know, John, if we can get you off, take it. There was um, there was a savage move. Yeah, uh, if you remember, Colin, around I like I'm I'm pretty poor now remembering stuff. Um, but if, if you remember around that time in the GA, mainly football, if if you don't mind me saying, but yeah, there was a few a few lads going to court to get injunctions against suspensions and and so on. Um, I can't. There was you you know better the than me. The big one was, was the Westmead. Yeah, the big one was the Westmead midfielder in the Leinster final in 04 against us. So yeah, I, yeah, uh, that was it. Yeah, can't yeah. think of his name now, but he he got back, and just for the final, right. he had been sent off. Yeah, uh, there was there was a window of opportunity there for John to um, appeal it, uh, and when the suspension came out of, we'll say, I know it was a three months or, or a month, but you have to miss the next game or whatever the suspension was. Um, there was talks of him going to the high court, and there was finance uh, being kind of made available, and I think they sat down and spoke about it, and for some reason. We all did, and John John decided no, I'm not going down the, I'm not going down that route. So you know that was the, it was definitely it was definitely on the table. But he 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 um he was the one that kind of put cold water on it before it got any real momentum. So um you know it was honourable, alright, but we could have done with him against Kilkenny. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, and like I mean, it, like this is remembered probably like a lot of people would say it's the greatest monster final. Um, that was ever played, you know. Like I mean, even watching it yesterday, it was just fantastic. I would say the last maybe last twenty minutes was uh, Paul Flynn versus Cork um, at that stage, and you were you were scoring some unbelievable points, but also missing some unbelievable ones as well. Yeah, uh, I I I was watching. I watched it yesterday with me with the kids, obviously in the missus, and uh, the abuse I got off <laughs> my eleven year old. The eleven-year-old young fella. Um, that was a bad miss, Dad. Um, so, and funny enough, genuinely hand on heart, I, I, I can't remember. I didn't. I, I've seen the goal alright a few times, but I've, I've never watched the match. I had. I just couldn't remember the misses, and there was two in particular. That I said, Jesus, like I mean, of all, right in front of the goal, playing into a wind in the Munster final, and like one chap texted me yesterday during the match, if he'd lost that, you would have been killed, and like I mean, it was. You know, Cork were just as guilty. Niall McCarthy hit a few wide. Uh, Don or Dearmer went up the field, hit one wide, and I actually I thought Ronan Curran hit one wide, but it was an unbelievable score off his left down the wing. And um, yeah, like I mean, I saw this 
like there was eight minutes to go in the game yesterday and the score was there was only two points scored in the last eight minutes like how often does that happen yeah yeah that'll show you that'll show you kind of how not nervous but how tight um, the pressure fellas were under like the amount of blocking that was went on in the first half in particular yesterday um, was incredible and now maybe lads are throwing the ball up to hit it quicker uh, to get rid of it but the amount of blocking went on was 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 has been I have I haven't seen it and uh, that was another aspect of the game like we we didn't get near Don Logue's goal really in the second half uh, at all uh, any scores we got we got from forty yards or thirty yards so from that point of view like I mean looking at that yesterday you'd be saying to yourself how did Cork lose it really um, you know the extra man but it goes to show if you just keep like if you watch the way Ken cleared the ball he cleared it either up the left wing or the right wing. Very few of them went up to centre, and at least if you're one on one, you have a chance. And uh, obviously, Owen Kelly then goes on the overlap, and you know. And I think when we got to momentum with 15 minutes to go, and things went our way too. To be fair, like um, I think it was James Murray intercepted a, a last minute hand pass, and it fell into Declan Prendergast's hands, and he got it out, and the ball was cleared, and you know. And obviously, then Ken's catch at the at the deck is the stuff of legend, and and like, I mean, if you see that ball, if Ken missed that. Who was going in behind him on Jerry O'Connor? Right. On Jerry O'Connor, he was going in. He wasn't. He wasn't going to tap it over. But look, that's it. It, it went our way. But you know, ultimately, got a text off Doctor Con then last night. Who won the All Ireland in '04? <laughs> you have to put up. <laughs> you have to put up with these things. But uh, you know, just just for the kids to be able to sit down and watch it, and I suppose for. For people who were on the terraces that day and in the stands and lads who were on the bus who might remember the match that well because they had a few electric lemonades or something in them. But, um, you know, it's a bit of crack and it was, um, it was definitely one of our best days. That team is not our best day, but, um, you know, it was, it was just great to be part of it, to be fair. Yeah, it was. And ir- ironically, though, Paul, like, I mean, you'd have been better off losing it because um, Cork went and beat Antrim. 100%. Beat Antrim well and then beat yeah. Wexford well. To get back in the fight. Yeah, and that's... Oh, stop. And I know that went to a replay, didn't it? Rory McCarthy got a great goal in the end. But, like, I mean, someone said, what's your, what's your, re- what's your memory of the summer of 04? And I'd say, Jacob's goal, Jacob's goal to beat Kilkenny ruined our summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the following Sunday, yeah. Kil- Peter, Barry caught a bo- P- Peter Barry caught a ball and he went to clear it. And I think Rory, J- Rory Jacob blocked it. The ball hopped up into his hand and he hung it. Game over. Wexford are Leinster champions. Kilkenny are in our side of the draw. Here we go. So, um, but having said that, if we had a full team, I think we could have taken Kilkenny despite giving them two goals on the day. But you know, it's it's just that thing of Kerry Kilkenny in your side of the draw. You know, but um, yeah, that, that that was Adrian Fenlon. I remember watching it. Adrian Fenlon in the line ball. Peter Barry grabbed us. Rory and Jacob had in the net. The next thing, yeah, Cork played Antrim and Wexford. And in fairness, um, Wexford were a good team at that time, but they weren't. They weren't. Oh, yeah, they no, weren't. we're near Kenny, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Even though it's, um, yeah, and to, yeah, that's true. You know, they'd beaten them. But it was um, like when you look at that Kilkenny team, they had Carey, Shefflin, Brennan, you know, they were all there. So um, it was it was a weird, yeah, it was kind of like, well done, lads, you're the Munster champions, you know, but yeah, hang on a sec now, you've the. You've the traditional powerhouse coming at you now, and you're a and you're a man down. And then a funny one about that, Colin, is like we someone decided we'd fly to Crow Park that Sunday morning, right? 
this is the madness that went on. <laughs> so Kilkenny obviously got got the train from Kilkenny up Sunday morning, an hour and a half. Everyone was grandly sleeping in their own beds. We're 40 minutes past that, so we could be on the same train, uh, whatever. And no, we'll fly. So we'll fly at 11 o'clock. We'll be in Dublin at quarter to 12 and into the hotel and all the rest of it. There was a deluge of rain that morning. It was unbelievable. Waterford Airport closed. Jesus. It was lads asleep in their bed in Dungarvan like at eight o'clock in the morning. Didn't have to be in Waterford till half ten. They were they got a phone call, get up. We're getting the half nine train from Waterford. So the preparation just went our way. We got, we got we had to eat on the train, we had to do the day just went we got to fly home, all right, in fairness, but uh you know it just goes to show you like yeah. keep keep it simple, you know. That makes no sense, sir. Like, I mean, what's a train trip from Waterford to Dublin? Two hours. By the time you'd be checked in and going through security and all yeah. that stuff, it'd be longer going yeah. flying. Yeah. Uh, look, we had we had a few we had a few people involved. We maybe got a bit ahead of themselves and fly this, you know, fly up to Dublin. It was just maybe they were trying to keep us at Leeson Street or something on the Saturday night. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it just it just it just backfired on us badly. Yeah, um, that's not did it good. Affect yeah. the no, did it affect the match? I'm not sure. Probably did in a, a little bit, but maybe not, didn't affect the results or anything. But uh, it's just these little things that uh, that all count, you know. And you don't, you didn't have a good record in semi-finals, um, then, Paul. Uh, like uh, as as you as you know, is there any ones that stick out? Like I'm thinking of Clare in '02, Kilkenny in '98 was only a pint. Kilkenny in '2004, we're just talking about that. Then Limerick in '07. Is there any one that you think, Jesus? Yeah. Well, there was no semi-final that week. Cork in 05 was probably one. Uh, there was no semi-final that we actually we handed anybody. Like um, we, the Kilkenny won in '98. You know, talking about miss hit freeze. DJ had a, a free on the 45 in the, in the canal end. He miss hit it, and Niall Maloney pulled on it into the net. That that won that game for Kilkenny. One eleven to one ten. I had a chance with five minutes to go. Missed. I went for a bottom right corner. Missed the fucking thing. Excuse my language. Um, yeah, uh, ninety eight. Then that was ninety eight. Um, then we had Claire. The thing you know. The, see, we we were we were kind of victim of circumstances in a lot of ways. Kind of where Waterford hadn't won a Munster championship in thirty nine years. We won one in oh two. We had a seven seven and a half week layoff. Then, like think Jeez. of that, seven and a half weeks. You know, from the Munster final to the All Ireland semi final. Now Claire, Claire beat Kilkenny in a replay, I think, in the quarter final. So we didn't know who we were playing till the week before, right? Like, till six days before. Um, that shouldn't have been an excuse. We like we just didn't. We, we were actually we actually were flying. We had Claire. We had Claire actually on the on the rack, just coming up to half time, and Alan Markham got a soft goal. He finished it well, but a goal that shouldn't have happened. And then we changed the team at half time and we never recovered. Um, that was O two. And that, that took the glass off the Munster Championship. Like your Munster, your Munster champions, but you know, a Munster team are just after clipping you in the semi final. So that took the glass off that. But in, in the seven weeks that I was talking about, the cup went around to every summer camp, every local disco, barn, whatever the Munster Championship Cup. And of course one or two players had to go and and it, it just took you know, we we even took two weeks off training out of the seven, so we didn't know what to do. We were yeah. totally out of our depth regarding preparation or training, and 
So um, that caught that definitely caught us. Um, you know, to Clare went on awfully. Was it no Kilkenny beat Clare in the final, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, yeah, oh four then. Um, the Kilkenny won. Uh, yeah, there was the flight. The goals, <laughs> Yeah, the flight and the goals. <laughs> uh, always goals. And uh, 05 then, Cork, beaten by a pint. Pint, in, yeah. In Lash and Rain. Yeah. Uh, gee, I can't remember then. Oh, seven, Limerick. Yeah, Limerick, yeah. Yeah, we played. Yeah, that was... They, Limerick were waiting for us because we, we, we played them in the Munster final and there was absolutely nothing in it. They were leading at half time, and I think we were, we were probably three pints up, four pints up. With t- the game was over. Time up. And uh, Mark Foley ran off the field. His finger was bust. And Mark Foley ran off the field to get attention. And he did. Blood sub came on. And then Foley came back on. And foolishly enough, the blood sub ran. and left Dan Shannon standing on his own for that five seconds. All right. Someone picked him out. And Dan hung it. And he made the game like a five-point game into a nine-point game. We got a point, And we beat him by ten points. And it was only about a, a two-point game, if anything. So we got Cork, drew with Cork uh, Sunday after Sunday and then Limerick the third Sunday in a row and they were waiting for us and the perception was uh, we'd won the league, Kilkenny in the final and then Limerick bounced. I think they got five goals again that day. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I could go on now. I could start crying here. For you know, <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of we could have a yeah. show on, on Waterford semi-final so we could have. But that could be yeah, one. Yeah, it could be. The one thing though, like Paul, like I mean, you didn't win an All Ireland with that team, but I, I, I'm not sure you know, you know, the kind of memories that that Waterford team would have given people and the regard people hold that team in. Yeah, no. To be fair, that's like obviously that's that's um, that's true. Like I, I have a couple of friends who have All Ireland medals and never even played. You know, never yeah. even got a game. Um, so. I wouldn't swap not playing for anything. Um, I suppose we were people's second favourite team outside their own team for, for a couple of seasons. There's no question about that. And the fact that we were taking on Cork and, and Tipperary. Like the likes of Waterford, Clare, Limerick in Munster would have a an unspoken kind of bond against Cork and Kilkenny or Cork and Tip really. You know, you'd love to see Clare and, or Limerick beat Cork or, or Tip. Yeah. That's just the way it is. It's it's the same in Leinster football, I imagine, with Mead in Dublin or whatever it is. But um, it's that's just that you know, just been so used to being the underdog for years, and you don't seem to get the same breaks as Cork or Tip do. You know, you just don't. Um, like I was only remarking the other day, you know, the Austin Gleeson goal <coughs> two seasons ago that was never was if a ball. Imagine the uproar if that happened to Tipperary, and it knocked him out of the championship. Oh yeah, if a ball yeah. didn't go over the line, you know it. They'd have a, they'd have a replay, you know. They'd have a CCC meeting and there'd be a replay or something. But um, you just don't get those breaks. So when you know, that, I think fish. we were kind of yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, we we were we played nice hurling. Obviously, we had a few head cases on the team. There was no helmets. I think the no helmets thing um, is a big thing because you know you're watching hurling now, and, and there's obviously fabulous hurlers, and but you don't you don't see their facial expressions. You don't see the color of their hair. You don't yeah. see them. You know, rubbing the back of their neck if they put a ball wide, or, or even you know, it's just it's just different. It's it's not like the personality has gone out of it, but the personalities aren't as 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 kind of visual because, like, I mean, you saw yesterday, like you know, Milan walking off, or you know, when he hits the ground and he turns to referee, you can see the 
anger in his face. He's looking for a free. And, you know, Dan, you know, six foot four, like a model, you know, tattoos on his hands, grabbing balls, hanging in the net. You know, Kane at centre back, you know, no teeth in him for the match, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we, we used to have lads in the dressing room taking out their teeth and putting them in their pockets, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that, that was part of it, I'm sure. That, you know, we, we, some of us wore gum shields, others didn't. They just took their teeth out and it was, it was part of the game. And, you know, obviously the, we were involved in high scoring games. We gave away goals. We got goals. And, um, you know, it was a time. It was a time when people were going to GA matches too, where, you know, you had the buses from the local bar, you had the buses from the local club. Juvenile matches were organised before us, so the stadiums were generally reasonably full, particularly in Munster. Whereas, you know, nowadays, a first round of Munster Championship might get eighteen or nineteen thousand people at it, whereas we had forty-five, forty-six, fifty thousand people at most of our matches. So it was, um, you know. It was, it was good times for the GA and the championship was still it was still reasonably not, you know it was knockout you know if you didn't win your first round of the Munster Championship you were gone you know you, you probably got you know you got a second chance then I suppose you did you went into the qualifiers but you know you didn't want you were unsure of the qualifiers and um, you know it was just a good good time for hurling you know sponsorship was starting to to kind of come up a gear or two and players players were starting to kind of be seen more publicly, you know, doing stuff and, and um, you know, it was good times. I oh, know, it definitely was. Come here, Paul, thanks very much for taking the call. You're welcome, Colin. Well done. Yeah, we, I, we do, yeah. We have a farm back home, so we have, we have a big farm back home and we have, we have uh, cattle and sheep and we have a few donkeys as well, so um, we had a couple of Philly donkeys. Uh, so I brought them down and so we did actually sold them to him. Uh, I think we had four donkeys on the day and we sold them to a man from Wexford, so we did. So there's, there's the piebald donkeys from there and there's the, the uh, traditional donkey and there's the, the Spanish donkey and then there's the... the Spanish donkey. Yeah, you, see, you see them on the on the beaches and everything. So, um, yeah, you can actually... One time, one time the, the donkey was useless. Right, but now some people have started to get back into them because you can use them for headage and uh, it's used towards your, would say, your bonuses, your grants. A donkey, a donkey in Eden, a donkey in Eden Palace. So Waterford 316, Cork 121. And I suppose if we start from the very start, the big switch at the start of the game was John Gardner onto Dan Shanahan, um, which I thought was a, a big surprise. I actually would have thought Sean O'Gahalpine would have had more physical strength for Dan Shanahan. And as it turns out, it, it was a disaster because Cork started the game brilliantly. And the only man, it looked like it was Dan Shanahan versus Cork for the first maybe 15 minutes. Yeah, first 15, 20 minutes even. Because, you know, like Dan kept them in the game, you know, a couple of brilliant catches, great scores. And um, then he, he snuck in for that goal as well. Brilliant catch over during the Sullivan. And, you know, he had a fierce habit of drifting in from 10. You know, he, he yeah. kind of, I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago as well. He had a habit of hurling on the 45 so that he was always able to drift in towards the 21 and, and and be in there in the danger zone. Bit of a nightmare for your corner forward inside, actually, um, because he's taken up a lot of his space. But, you know, Dan was so effective at it. That's how he got so many goals from wing forward. And people are going to argue him when he's putting in 
you know, when he's scoring that. Um, so, you know, I think the thing about that Walter team as well, they had the license to kind of do what they wanted. I think Justin McCarthy had him set up like that. It was almost Brazil-like, you know, it was total hurling. Um, and they they hurled off the cuff. And I think that's what I spoke about earlier. That's the appeal of them to everybody, to all the neutrals out there. Um, and I just think Dan was imperious in that first half. And you're right, like Sean Og was more suited to him. And we saw that in the second half, you know, Sean Og completely shut him down um, in that second half. Now, Dan caught a ball or two and did, you know, did, had, had a couple of moments, but didn't have anywhere near the same effect on the game that he did in that opening 20. No, he did Like, I mean, do, do you agree with uh, Paul Flynn when he says, I, I completely agree. Like, obviously the Waterford team was loved around the country because of the hurling and the high-scoring games, exciting games, but the, a lot of them didn't wear helmets. So you saw Ken McGrath with no teeth and him grimacing. You saw Dan smiling. You saw John Milan with a big thick head on him sometimes and smiling other times. You know, you saw feeling the wing back. Like, you, you, could act, you, you thought you knew them a little bit more, for example, than, than maybe hurlers nowadays who have a full face guard on and you, they're like robots running around the field. Yeah, I, actually, that's a brilliant point. You know, Owen Kelly just springs to mind there as well. Owen you know, Kelly, yeah. You know, kissing the crest and, you know, being a bit of a brat whenever he needs to be as well. Like, so, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. They, they hurled with, with their hearts on their sleeve as well. Yeah. You know, you know, they all were so passionate and, you know, as I said, playing to the crowd and there was something magical about them. And as you said, you, fe- you felt like you, you knew them that little bit more and, Great characters and, and great people. I, as I said, though, I think it comes back to the way that they hurled. They just kind of hurled with this abandonment. And, you know, if he score 121 in the Munster final, we'll still beat you. You know, I think that was the, the, the take on it. Like, you know, it was, the, it was total shootout. So I think that side of it as well, that they didn't really play with any negativity at all. Um, and, uh, you know, even their full back line was under pressure there for large parts of that game. But they just stuck to it. And I think that was probably the a huge part of the appeal. Like the, the only time they started to change that element of play was when Davy Fitz went in and took over after Justin McCarthy left yeah. in 2008. And you know, look, Davy got results, got in All Ireland. It obviously wasn't enough, but you know, you know, you talk to Milan or, or any of them, they say while it was brilliant times and they loved every bit of it, and they probably wouldn't change it. At the same time, it was only till they became a little bit more um, defence savvy that. That made any inroads into actually winning those All Ireland semi-finals. Right, right, okay, that makes it because it was their individual brilliance that kept Waterford in. A Cork were by far the better team, I thought, in the first half. Like Owen Kelly scored a goal, just pure individual, individual score. Dan Shanahan, you know, individual points and a goal. Like I think that was from a half block down. Owen Kelly effort at a point. Ken McGrath with a point that you wouldn't see anywhere. You know, Cork were doing all the hurling, but Waterford were sticking in there. Yeah, and I just think of Paul Flynn's point then as well on Dermot Sullivan, lovely oh, cross-field ball and, you know, he just, you know, a little bit of a shimmy and back on his right side, brilliant score and, you know, Owen Kelly's goal actually, you know, it's amazing how things can work out like, you know, he, he looked like he'd run down a cul-de-sac and Jerry O'Connor had done everything right and next minute just opened up for him and he just saw the light and went. Well, you, yeah, right, but that's the thing, that, but isn't that the danger of hooking someone in that situation because you're, you're, you're happy to be behind them? Yes, that's right. And I, I was surprised though because Jerry O'Connor went for, you know, he slapped across him um, with his last attempt of, of a tackle um, instead of going for the hook, you know, bringing the hurl back in the other side and going for the hook. Um, you know, it was just, it was, it was a strange attempt at a tackle, but right. it was amazing that there was, you know, maybe Dermot Sullivan or someone hadn't <clears throat> come across sooner, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to meet Owen Kelly because he made a lot of ground when he got inside that 14-yard line. 
Yeah, and like John Gardner could have doubled up on him, but Dan was running amok and he probably thought Owen Kelly would have thrown it back out to Dan. So he stayed where he was and gave Owen Kelly the, you know, the whole end line. Yeah, that, that was the thing. Like, I, I, I kind of excused Gardner on that. that yeah, instance. yeah, me too. To me, that's why I'm kind of saying Dermot Sullivan was probably the one that had to come. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and obviously hope that, the, you know, the other cornerback or, or Ronan Curran had filtered into the position that would cover Darren O'Sullivan. Do you know, so I think he left it maybe that little bit too late to actually come into that position to, to stop the shot. But it was a brilliant shot and, and a bullet of a goal, to be fair to him. No, it was a brilliant, a brilliant goal and a lovely celebration as well. You're right about Owen Kelly. He's a bit, he was likable too, but there was fear, there was devilment in that in that fella. But like, I mean, you know, again, he just he was a bit of a, a bit of a pup um, on the field, but like a brilliant player in full flow as well. Brilliant. Do you know, the first time I saw Owen Kelly um, from Mount Zion in action was we played him in a Fela, I learned semi-final, uh, 1995 down in Limerick. And that's the first day I saw him and just, he stuck out, you know, he was brilliant talent, but he was just, he just, you know, he didn't wear a helmet and he was just, you know, kind of a a rogue, as I said. And, um, you know, he, he really backed it up and it was amazing that, you know, at the same time, Owen Kelly from Tipperary was running the muck. There was Owen Kelly from Waterford too. <clears throat> totally different styles, but two fantastic hurlers. And he was a brilliant free taker too, all the way up along um, to, to note as well. So, you know, the players put him up there were one of the best they've ever hurled at as well. An interesting one was the Cork Pokeouts where, um, you know, Don Logue was well known for the short ones, but they were going to Garvin McCarthy uh, who got a total fluke of a goal in the first uh, minute? Um, like I, mean, I love, I love Derek Hanning's um, analysis that he was the keeper was unsighted. <laughs> <laughs> it dribbled in under his hurl, but he didn't put his hurl on the ground. He had the he had his hurl up above the ground. It, it yeah, in under it. He just, I suppose, he just expect to bounce, and whatever happened, it just dribbled along the ground. You know, it was it was your quintessential dribbler, like. Um, well, surely, surely under at under. Eighth level, you're told to put your hurley on the ground, no, to make sure it rolls up along it. Ah, uh, yeah, no? yeah, of course. Well, it's just, it's just unfortunate because that's where you really feel for keepers. You know, you just want the ground to open up and, and swallow you in those situations. One simple mistake, and it's, <clears throat> it's a goal. It's a big, big um, problem. And you know, he was nervy because he came out to catch another ball in the second half, and you know, it, it dropped out of his hand. And looking yeah. the where he positioned himself, he was to the to the his right of the post or the left, as we looked at in telly, and it went out for 65. So, you know, he, he was nervous in the goal, but you, you'd understand that after letting in that goal in the first half. You, you yeah. do feel sorry for him, though. Yeah, no, I, you do. But, like, I mean, was were you surprised that they kept going to Garvin McCarthy with the puckouts? Because Brian Phelan, after a shaky start, just started dominating him. Yeah, but I suppose they kind of felt where else could they really go because Tony Brown, you know, was doing a a really good job on on Timmy McCarthy. And then obviously, uh, you know, Ken McGrath completely dominated um, Niall McCarthy. And still Niall McCarthy had enough opportunity to score maybe two or three points, you know. Yeah. Um, now you know what I was saying about the he shooting was so erratic that you weren't sure if he was going to score or not because you know he, he you know I think we saw that firsthand particularly in that second half. Yeah, he had a chance in the second half similar to the one that he would score in the All Ireland final from over that side, didn't he? On the run. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Made a mess of it. Yeah, and just dribbled wide. Um. But yeah, that was it. But like I mean, this this is the thing. The Cork full forward line was running amok. So Ben O'Connor was absolutely cleaning up on Prendergast. He he been he had been. Uh, He'd been detailed to Mark. Or no, Prendergast. No, it was Owen Murphy. Mike Parker, no, yeah, Owen Murphy was on Ben O'Connor. Like, I mean, the, and, and Joe Dean was was flying it as well. Like, Cork played 114 into the win. Like, I mean, 
it wasn't a huge win or anything like well it was it was a decent win but they just played so much better controlled hurling into the wind it's it just suit, suited them much better yeah it did because as well you know when you play into the wind sometimes it can suit um, teams because the half forward line will naturally drop out that little bit more and there will be space in front of them and that's exactly what it suited you know they were able to put the ball low into into Ben O'Connor and to Jodine and if they were under pressure they were putting it high down on top of Brian Carpen. and again I think this was a this was a lovely mix of their styles because there was elements of the running game and look we saw a couple of brilliant scores from Tom Kenny and Jerry O'Connor yeah. and particularly that score in the second half Jerry O'Connor got Jerry yeah 1-2 with Ben yeah that epitomised their running game but it was amazing their two corner forwards were lethal when they got fast ball and you know as I said we already analysed this 2004 All-Ireland like when they got fast ball inside there they, they were unmarkable almost and um, Jodine got a brilliant score in that first half I thought you know just after Owen Kelly was after getting the goal he looked like um, James Murray had done enough but he just flicked it out from under his feet and just skipped by him and just a, a great score and you know Brian Corkin was definitely winning that that battle early on with Declan Pendergast you know he'd scored two points he'd won a free and that's the one we're talking about the advantage where he'd scored the point from Leia but it was popped back for, for Jodine to tap it over so you know, that full forward line were definitely running the muck and all, all Watford did was swap the two corner forwards and, and hope that they, they dried up the display coming out or coming into them in, in, in that second half. Yeah. Two corner backs, sorry. The two corner backs, yeah. So that was the thing. I was wondering how, like, I mean, Cork or how Waterford did kind of, um, you know, turn it around at the back. Like, they were a lot tighter now. I don't know, did, having the win not to Cork, like, how did you score 114 and a half and then seven uh, with an extra man? Like they left the rock as the spare man. Was that the right decision? Um, like I know before you would say, yeah, the rock is the right man because he's he's clever and he's probably the worst of the three man markers. So why not have him? You know, and he's got great clearances. Um, but Cork just couldn't keep going, and I suppose Waterford just stepped it up a notch. I suppose, and that Cork didn't weren't able to reply back to them. Yeah, well, you know, you often, yeah, often have the analysis where you might actually analyse well why is there so much good ball going into the full back line there's only so much they can do either you know like yeah they were getting a bit of a run around but the ball the supply of ball Cork were getting was, was excellent and you know they, they felt that there wasn't much else they could do only try and tighten up maybe the middle third and force Cork to try and play a ball you know that wasn't as good you know maybe high and force them under a little bit more pressure and I think they did that pretty well in the second half and no, you're right. You're saying Dermot Sullivan, when you analyse it, looked like he was the right man to be the, the sweeper or the, the extra defender. But, they, you know, they didn't get enough play through him at all. You know, no. Waterford, when they did play it, never never hit it down his throat. You know, so Dermot Sullivan had very little effect on that game in the second half. Yeah, no, they definitely, he definitely uh, didn't. It seemed like I was saying to Paul Flynn, it was Paul Flynn versus Cork then for maybe a lot of the second half. Yeah, he really stepped up. You know, it was Dan Shannon in the first half, as we already said, but definitely Paul Flynn. And still he missed chances. You know, he missed a, a relatively easy one where he came around the corner in the second half and you know, straight in front of the goal, should have scored it and, and, and missed it. And then he goes out underneath the, the yeah. old standing turtles under savage pressure and over the shoulder and a brilliant score. So that just showed the genius that he was. And look, the free, <laughs> we'll never know, but, um, you know, the free was just a massive moment. That goal just, completely changed the whole complexion of the game and gave Watford that bit of belief that they could actually do it but I suppose Seamus Pendergast and Ronan Curran were having a 
a great battle. It looked like, you know, Ronan Curran was probably shading it, got a brilliant score. We came down the field and um, he was hurling a lot of ball. But Seamus Pendergrass had a couple of big moments, though, coming down the home stretch, in fairness to him. It was funny Paul Flynn was saying there that he met Donald O'Grady after the game in in Semple Stadium the year before and he had given the quick free to Milan to score and O'Grady says to him we won't get caught like that again with a with a free and <laughs> the, very, the very following year Flynn does that to them like I mean Flynn meant that goal like I mean I don't care what anybody says this is Paul Flynn this is a cheeky hurler you know what I mean yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and then the free afterwards and the, the car put four lads on the goal and the rock is pointed down to the bottom corner trying to gold Flynn into gold for it like I mean this is great. It's fantastic stuff when you think about some of the stuff that was going on in the field yeah, and Dan Channing, by all accounts, was after going in and telling the boys, watch this now, lads, he's going to stick in the next. He, he was goading them inside as well. So, like, that adds to it too. But, I, like, that's my take on that. Like, my memory of Flynn is that he was just that cheeky, savage inner confidence that well, there was only a handful of people, you know, we've ever seen capable of doing that. And to me, I wasn't surprised when he done it. That, that's my take on it. That's why I back it up that he meant it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And like, I mean, you could say, you know, his confidence wouldn't be that high if that's an argument. But sure, like you said, he scored that one over his shoulder from the stand mm. after a very bad wide. He, two ter- he had two terrible wides in that second half. One was a free and the other was from play. And he'd always that's right. And he followed both up with spectacular scores. Like, I mean, he mm. wasn't he wasn't your typical forward that would work, that would, you know, have a have a, a, a miss haunt him. Yeah, but when you're in really good form, you think about this yourself, like, a not miss like that won't bother you because yeah. you, you, you kind of look at that as like, you know, it's very hard to score every single free you take. Do you know, like, it's very hard to get 10 out of 10. You know what I mean? Now, okay, he only scored maybe four or five, but you know the point I'm trying to make. It's very yeah. hard to score every single one of them. And we've seen, we've seen plenty of free takers miss frees down through the years, as good as they are. You know, Shefflin and Canning and TJ Reid. So yeah. it is it is, it is, is possible. So the, the key to being a, a brilliant free taker is obviously to, to shrug your shoulders and say, okay, so be it. I, I, I'll get the next one. And the one from play, you know, when you're in good form like that, you know, you'd be kicking yourself, but you wouldn't be bullying. You'd be just going, like, ah, look, should have scored it. Yeah, yeah, I'm raging. But the key thing is you're winning possession. I think yeah. that's the big thing. You know, it's more frustrating when you're not getting any possession. That's when your confidence is rattled. Yeah, know? yeah, you're not in the game. You're not because yeah. like, I mean, Flynn must have been cursing John Milan for getting sent off because Brian Murphy came over on him then, where he would he yeah. would he had been marking the rock, who would probably give you that little bit more space. Yeah, he he would have preferred that because you know, I know that myself. I'd rather be nearly marking a big man, you know, trying to mix a ma- you know, a oh, yeah. mismatch or mismatch is the word I'm looking for there, where you can you know, hopefully you can get low ball and, and try and get around him. But um, he he definitely would have been a lot happier there. But Murphy being a lot tighter. But look, we've already said it. The genius of him that when he got that point over the shoulder, um, underneath the old stand, I just think that summed up Paul Flynn for me. Yeah, the only position in the full forward line I could play was full forward, and I think a big part of that reason was you were marking the the, the loosest marker of all three. Like if I was put in the corner on a specialist corner back, like I was at nothing. I didn't. I I I had no interest in that kind of stuff because you don't. You might only get four balls in a full game, and you're expected to score one three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting the curly finger, the first man off at the corner forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I I know exactly what you're saying. So you you know you've often seen, like Joe Dean played a lot of his career full forward too, you know. So um, and and he was absolutely lethal, and he'd be coming up against the likes of Kevin Keane and then Brian Lawton and all these players. So you can see what they were trying to do. What but, do you uh, think? Go on. Go no go. Sorry. What, what do you that. think? 
what do you think of, you know, Waterford's failure to make an All-Ireland final until 2008? Under Gerald McCarthy, for example, they lost to Clare in 2002, which is a bad loss. But in fairness, Paul, Paul Flynn saying that it was seven, seven weeks between the Munster final win and the All-Ireland semi-final. That's crazy stuff. Then in 04, they lost to Kenny. And like, I mean, they flew, they were supposed to fly up to Croke Park that morning and there was torrential rain and the flight was cancelled and they ended up trying to eat food on the train on the way up. It was a total mess. Then they lost by Cork. They lost to Cork by a point in 06 in the rain. Lost to Limerick when they were favourites after beating them in 07. Like, I mean, there is like a hard luck story nearly in all of them. It is because... Do you know, even even like you go to 07, go to the last one where everyone expects them to beat Limerick. Well, you know, I suppose Limerick They've been were, through were, the replay with Cork the week after see, that. that like, that's six the point I'm making. When they beat Limerick, Limerick were after going through the three games against Tipperary. Do you know, so they were, weren't kind of emotionally and physically ready for that Munster final. And, and Waterford beat them. It turned out to be comfortable enough, you know, Dan Shannon ran a muck, three goals in the Munster final and 3-3, three, three, I think he got. And then the other semi-final, as you said, they finally beaten Cork, you know, in these kind of knockout games in Croker. It looked like, yes, you know, finally the monkey is off the back and, you know, should we beat Limerick already? They were, you know, they were after beating Kilkenny in the league final that year in 2007. So they kind of almost had one eye in the other final. And as you said, sitting ducks and Limerick took them, you know, and took them for goals, obviously. And, you know, beat them. And, you know, that to me was where you really felt sorry for that Waterford team. And you felt it was all over for them, you know. And, you know, in 2008, it just was amazing that they ended up getting back there. But, you know, it, it is one of those hard luck stories. And and you're you're right, like, how many hard luck stories can you have? Waterford will attest to it. You can have three or four of them. Yeah, they're like the Mayo, uh, the Mayo of yeah, hurling, really. Like, it, yeah. you know, liked and everybody's rooting for them, which probably adds a little bit of pressure then on top of that as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's a a great um, analogy there. You know, um, to put them up with Mayo and people hoping and wishing that they do it after so many years as well. But you know, it just un- unfortunately it, it just wasn't to be. And th- th- still were a little, particularly in two thousand four, they had a brilliant team, and as you said, it came back to individual brilliance. But they still probably didn't have the panel. It was kind of like they didn't have the strong panel that they probably no. had later in the years. And still, probably later in the years, then some of their players were getting over, not over the hill, but, you know, were coming towards the end of their career, like Ken McGrath and Tony Brown. Now, Tony Brown was a freak, though. He kept going. But, you know what I find him saying? They probably weren't at the real peak of their powers either. So it was just unfortunate that they didn't. It never married that they could actually get it over the line, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, we'll come back with performance of the weekend. The match with uh, you know with Marty Morrissey and the Marty squad, and you know the big the big thing for me yesterday with Clare hey, versus Galway was. Hang on, did you ask permission to do the Marty squad there? Well, uh, well, well, I well I didn't <laughs> I didn't, but I was only a special guest. Last Thursday, you asked me the same question when I started bubbles, and I said yesterday on the Marty squad that yes, I would have started bubbles for that game yesterday. That was the first I heard of Johnny King coming back with the Galway squad. You know, I was, I was asked just in the Marty squad. Here, Damien, are you getting paid for Marty squad jokes on our show here? <laughs> That's three. Wait, no, I do, I, do, I, I do that completely voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> Good 
move away from the mess in there, lads, right? <laughs> we have a serious show to do here. Right? <laughs> Performance of the weekend. And, like, I mean, I have Ken McGrath in here, um, Brian, but... I, I, for my memory, because I suppose the point in the first half, then the catch at the end and the celebration, like I was taught this lad was clear and ball the whole way through the game. He was caught in possession a couple of times and probably didn't have the game I was expecting him to have from memory. I think this is a case of where um, I wasn't putting Sean Ogg up as uh, one of the key performers of the weekend in that I learned a couple of years ago too. You just remember him being so swashbuckling and so dominating um, in this game. But when you analyse it, maybe wasn't wasn't exactly that. But still, he, look, I think he was brilliant. Uh, he he did win his battle, albeit as I said, Niall McCarthy could have could have sniped him for a few points. But but still, he clear he still cleared a lot of ball for your centre back. Um, yeah, and I, I look, I think he he would be deserving of being in there. But uh, yeah, probably not the the probably not the memory that you can you can think of him where he just completely dominated. Yeah, exactly. I've seen him playing better games. Is the point I'm making? Dan, yes. Uh, yeah. Dan Shanahan, um, I suppose if if there was one in the first half, like, I mean, this was, it was unbelievable his performance in the first half, really. Was it 1-3 and he was fouled again, um, you know, and like just completely kept kept Waterford in and destroyed Gardner, destroyed. And you you make a good point with him. I thought I thought Justin McCarthy had this rotating thing going on, but I'm not sure if he do if he did. Like Dan just floated on in there and waited there, and then the wing back is following him somewhere he's not comfortable, and Dan is equally comfortable out at ten or at, at fourteen. So like I mean, he really had he had a one up on whoever he was marking. Yeah, so like you're right that that first half performance was sensational because he completely kept water from the game. You know, even the very first catch, you know, like, now, not... He put that that, the, yeah, he put that in the goalie's hands, I think, did he, or put it wide? No, that's the one where he ran in with it and went hand past to John Milan and ended up going out over the over the sideline. Right. Um, but, you know, he, the danger he'd caused in that situation, and then just, you know, after that as well, just was a, a go-to man for Stephen Brenner in the goal and caught a couple of puck outs, caught a couple of great scores, and um, just a, a brilliant performance. But he loved the big day. You know, as well, like, you know, as I said earlier, you know, when Dan scored 3 3 in the Munster final as well. So, um, and hurled with the, the smile on his face. But, you know, very, very hard to manage because he was so big. And as I said, the only person I've ever seen managing him in the air, apart from Sean Oak, probably nullifying him, but not destroying him, um, was JJ. JJ just, uh, like, he, he just was unbelievable. And, and particularly in that All Ireland semi final there that year, just, you know, completely took that out of the game, particularly under the high ball. Right. And, and JJ was going. Catching with him, uh, catching with catching over him. Right. You know, JJ was able to wrap him up, you know, bring that hurl down across Dan and catch. You see, because it's very hard for a right-handed hurler to catch a ball. I don't know yeah. why it is, because I know it myself. Very hard to catch off a left-hander. I know it's because both of you are shielding with the same arm. Um, you know, your right arm's going up against his left arm. But uh, whatever it is about it, kit hogs are very, very hard, very difficult for a conventional uh, hurler to try and catch the ball off. Right, okay, because you'd imagine Dan, being the huge man that he is, would be just able to hold JJ away like that with one arm and catch it. Yeah, but no, it's just that's why JJ is the best I've ever seen under a high ball. Right, right. He's just a slittery character, JJ, and uh, has brilliant, brilliant timing. Seamus Prendergast is an, uh, an unsung hero, really, of that Waterford team. He got a great point at the end, but he's always in the mix. He's always in there, and he's this kind of languid style where you never think he's going 100 miles an hour, you know? But, like, he was a great player for them back in that day. 
brilliant. And another man that kept on the road a long, long time. Brilliant yeah. serving to Watford. You know, not stylish like some of the other boys we talked no. about, but brilliant player. And actually, there's something we didn't mention. Going back to that point he got at the end, what an interception by James Murray. Because that was a goal. That was goal oh, yeah. for Waterford. Like, you know, the ball in around the square. It was hand-passed. I think it was Jonathan Callum maybe was coming through. And, like, what an interception. Do you know? Because he, he, you know, he was after having a tough 70 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, he was, you know, he always looked like he, he made some good interceptions. But, like, you know, looked to be under pressure. And just, you know, got there with that, you know, interception. Dave Pendergast. Uh, walked it out and eventually Seamus gets that that brilliant score as you said um, you know as you said he just seemed to be just sauntering along but no one could ever really kind of catch him or hook him I don't know it was really kind of weird and you know sometimes he did run down cul-de-sacs but he was very hard to dispossess um, and you know a lot of those again Waterford guys have huge respect for him and, and probably a lot of the unseen work that he would have done yeah, Brian Phelan as well I thought had a great game really uh, destroyed Gavin McCarthy after a while and that tactic potentially backfired on Cork because he, he just another Waterford style player, no helmet, night to celebration, just got stuck in and uh you know, very solid at left half back. Yeah, like the bull feeling brilliant hurler, um honest as the day is long, you know, and another lad like he was like strong as a bull and drove out and everything, but there was no dirt or malice in him either. Like, you know, he just hurled hard and tough and fair and a brilliant serving for his club as well, De La Salle. And, um, he totally dominated Garvin McCarthy. But that was a strange choice because I think I'm nearly certain that was his debut um, in that right. final. And I know he got the goal early on and, you know, he, he did okay for his debut to give him to give him credit. But, you know, like, he wasn't coming around the, the, the knockout stages, you know. Um, Kieran Murphy had, uh, Fraggy Murphy had, had worked his way onto that team and moved into corner forward and Ben came out to wing. So there probably was a, a better structure to their six forwards when um you know when, when that change was made. But yeah, you're right, bull feeling very, very dumb. Like, you know, you look at that that half back line for Waterford, I think they were massive on the day. All three yeah. of them, you know. They were, they were. Ben O'Connor, speaking of Ben O'Connor, at least two solo efforts. And again, it just shows how good we keep talking about him, but he's one of our own, JJ Delaney. Like when Ben O'Connor can look that good on a day like that, like practically unmarkable. And then you think the, the put the day you almost feel sorry for him when JJ is marking him when he can't get a a, a look in. It's mad because at least two of his four points were complete solo efforts where he's just burning. Um, it was Murphy, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, one more. and like you know, he he's just unmarkable. And did you notice? Did you notice the same as the other? And finally, started with no helmet and put his helmet on. <laughs> I didn't. You can't. You not notice these things. No. Oh lads, yeah, no, I didn't notice that at all. Actually, he did either. that again. Yeah. yeah, he did that again. I oh, knew that just shows how superstitious he was. You know what <laughs> I mean? I said that at the time. He massively, like, that's me looking at it from the outside. I just all, always thought he was massively superstitious. So then, that's something he was, he was at. But that point he got in the second half is another kind of just typical Ben O'Connor point where, you know, he, he uses his pace to burn a couple of players and then, you know, swings it over right right on the sideline. And the camera, I don't know what it is about that goal as well. The camera always has a perfect line of vision for balls flying over the point, over the bar there. Um, I love that about Turles and I love, the, you know, exactly where that camera is. And that, that to me, kind of sums up Ben O'Connor. Brilliant score. Yeah. But uh, no, never not a thing about the helmet. That's amazing. The- Sean, Sean O'Gahalpin deserves a mention for his second half performance. He like he was the man. It just kind of shows the the silly 
kind of uh, decision it was not to have Sean Og play on his left half back position. Why would Sean Og be? He's a big, strong monster of a man himself. Never mind, you know, Gardner will be a, a weaker looking player than Sean Og has been. Yeah, well, Gardner was still strong, and he, you know, he, he attacked a lot of ball. But yeah, I don't know. Look, it was a decision obviously made that they felt they were going to get an edge on, but it didn't work at all. You know, like Dan Shannon cleaned him and gave him a lovely little jab in the mouth as well, just for his measure as well. <laughs> so he totally dominated John Gardner that day. Yeah. Um, you know, and even John was a little bit rattled in, in, in the first half. You know, a couple of sidelines didn't go his way. There's another moment where, you know, he did well to intercept the ball in around the square, ran out, out towards sideline. Seamus Pendergast blocks him down, ball still in play, and he goes to rise and drive it. And and it goes out for a sideline, but Ronan Kern eats him. You know, absolutely loses the plot with him. Now Gardner used the crowd really well to, pre- to pretend to ignore him, but you know, Kern was going mad that he didn't recycle it back to him because you know that that had that had turned into be a big part of Cork's play. You know, instead of just driving it when you're under pressure, it was to recycle it back to the lines. And you know, they did that really well. I thought in the first half in particular, where you know they had runners coming off the shoulder. There, Brian Murphy came off the shoulder, Sean Og a couple of times, and um, it worked really well. To, Get the ball to Jerry Connor and then being able to deliver long. So, um, you know, it, it, like it, it does show, as I said, that Cork had that mix of styles of time and weren't fully comfortable with, with the out and out running game. Right. Tom Kennedy deserves a mention here. Three from play. Dave Bennett yeah. taken off. He was all over. He was all over the place and then doubling up, obviously, on whoever he could double up on. That was one of the best games I've ever seen Tom Kenny play. Usually he's kind of, you know, in Jerry's shadow. Ah, yeah, but Jesus, like that's a big statement too, because like that midfield were the best in the country for years. Do you know? Like they were totally yeah. different. They were totally unmarkable. Like five points of play, they totally won that midfield because you know, when Kelly started there, he was probably moved into the half hour. And again, it's hard to tell on Kelly. Yeah. Um, you know, Dave Bennett taken off. Brick Walsh looked like he went out to midfield to try and stem the tide a little bit. I don't think they even came close to even breaking even, but they maybe nullified them a little bit. But you know. Jerry getting two brilliant scores, you know, Tom getting three three scores, two two in the first half where he's just impossible to stop. And uh even even the first goal, like Tom Kenny had was after breaking inside the the Waterford half back line and very poor control actually. And the ball eventually works to, to Garvin McCarthy and the ball pops up and he doubles on it, whatever. But it just showed where the danger of Tom Kenny there that you know he really was in for another score there as well. Um very, very, very difficult to stop and yeah. just their, their engine between himself and Jerry, their engines were just unbelievable. Well, the only man to stop Tom and Jerry was Chad Hitz. We know that anyways. So he, <laughs> they, 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 not only could Tom and Jerry not mark Chad, uh, John Gardner couldn't mark him either that day in 2006. We know that from last week's show. Um, yeah, but performance of the weekend has to go to Paul Flynn. Like I know he had a couple of wides, one seven out of the three sixteen. Um, and the three from play were absolute screamers. You mentioned the one in the first half was a great diagonal ball by uh, Dave Bennett, even though Dave Bennett was very quiet in the game. Um, and then in the second half, a couple of brilliant scores. When scores are at a premium, really, is when Paul Flynn started stepping up. Yeah, he did. And actually, just to talk about that ball from Dave Bennett, because that's a part of the game that people kind of, it kind of really frustrates me, probably again, because I hurl inside. But it was a real simple ball. Hit it out to space on the outside of the corner yeah. forward. You know, Limerick are probably brilliant to doing it. Tip in there when they're in full flight are brilliant to doing it as well. But we don't see it enough probably in the game. You know, people are hitting the ball down players' throats inside. 
you know, yeah. which is a backsman's ball. It's kind of like that ball we're talking about, John Milan getting where Brian Murphy pulled. You know, like a ball straight down the line or straight at you is a backsman's ball all day. But pull it outside him into space, little bounce on it. Doesn't need to be a hard strike. Just need to get it in there in some sort of low trajectory, and it just gives the ball into a 70-30 advantage here forward. And I think, you know, that that ball was brilliant by Dave Bennett. And, you know, Paul Finn, as you said, in that second half in particular, stood up when Watford needed him. Um, great scores, missed a couple, but look, as we already said, shows the genius of the man and the, the inner confidence to just keep going. Um, yeah, I, I'd agree with you. He definitely, when it all boils down, had the biggest influence. Um, his performance in that second half, you know, influenced Watford winning that Munster final for me. He definitely did. So congratulations to Paul. Right, we'll leave it there, Brian. Uh, thanks very much. And we'll be back on Thursday um, and we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I should go. And so it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm heart, I'm heartbroken. <laughs>